Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. My next guest in the Bravery Academy is John Esposito. Coming out of New York, his story of survival after double leg amputation is one that'll teach us so many lessons. One of acceptance, gratitude, and being able to fight when things feel too hard. An inspirational story, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. Today, I have a guest all the way from New York City. I've got John Esposito. Welcome, John. Hello. Good to be with you. I'm so excited to have you here and to hear your story uh, and your passion for fighting is one of the reasons we're going to be speaking today. But I know that you have a bigger story than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I became a uh, double leg uh, amputee above the knee about almost two years ago, a year and a half ago. So I was, I was actually a construction worker and we were filling up potholes and we were pretty much done for the day actually, but we were like doing the last bit of it. And then a car came around the corner and actually slammed into me right next to the machine that we were working next to. And so the amputation actually happened right then, right there. So pretty soon after the ambulance got there, I wasn't, I wasn't awake for really any of it. I black, my body blacked out. Um, the only thing I do remember was my coworker. I heard him screaming my name, but um, I couldn't see anything. And at that point, I faded out. So I guess the ambulance determined that they were going to be able to get me, get me to the hospital in time. So they actually medevaced me to the hospital. They had to wait for the helicopter to get there. And then mid-flight to the hospital, I actually ended up flatlining. And the medics on the helicopter were able to stabilize me. And, you know, as soon as they got me to the hospital, they started pumping me full of blood. And I actually woke up later that night. And I mean, I was crazy drugged up. So I don't remember too much. I just know what people told me. So yeah. So can you go back? How old are you now? How old were you then? I was 30, now 32. Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. pretty, pretty big time of life as well. What was life like before the accident? Yeah, I, pr- well, actually I just got back into fighting. I stopped for a little bit, stopped for uh, a little while, and then I just got back into fighting. And so I, pretty much I was 
going to work, you know, full time. And literally after work, I would go to trading and that would be my life. Just a very active uh, lifestyle, just always out, you know, trading and trying to get ready for the next fight. And I was actually in the process of getting ready for a fight at that time. So I think actually kind of contributed to me surviving. Yeah, because, you know, as a fighter, your cardio has to be on point. So I felt like my body like knew how to slow down, was like really good at slowing down blood flow so that I was able to survive. Well, technically I didn't survive, but I did know. <laughs> did survive. No. You did survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an amazing story. That's a real like snapshot of that day. How did it then flow into when you were in the hospital and you began to come around? What was that like for you? Even though I was like, they had me on like so much medication, I was pretty much high basically every day. That night, before I even really realized that I started the processing of it, because when I woke up, actually, they had me laying flat uh, because I had a minor fracture in my spine. So they didn't want me to move because when the car hit me, but I knew something was going on with my legs. Like I could feel it. I, it was like obvious. I didn't know that I was an amputee at that time. I just thought maybe I didn't know. I was like, oh, maybe I broke my legs. I didn't understand what was going on. And plus I went from at work to waking up in the hospital. So I was just all over the place. But then once the doctor told me that I was an amputee, it started kind of dawning on me. So I started the processing right then because I asked him, I was like, well, I ever be able to walk again? Can I fight again? And, you know, they kept it pretty short and brief with the answers. You know, when I asked him if I would be able to walk again, he said, yes, you will in time, but it's going to be different. And then I don't even think he answered when I asked him if I could still fight. It, it probably grew him off. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. It didn't really take me too long to process everything. I, and I know that sounds like weird, but the thing is that you don't really have a choice. You kind of have to accept everything. There's literally two roads. It's either you're going to be miserable. And unfortunately, a lot of amputees, it does end in suicide. And, you know, people just don't want to live anymore. So you have that road or you have the road where I want to live life to the fullest still. And I've still want to live my life. And that's literally how I saw it. I simplified everything. And it was like, just plain as day. I'm still 30, you know, I'm like, I still want to live. So this is what I got to do. And this, I just have to make the modifications and adapt. Huge mindset. The power of your mind in that moment has obviously been like the catalyst for the way that you are dealing with this. And as you said, that's not everybody's way of responding to this, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is a really big part of your story is acceptance. Was there anger and sadness along the way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there definitely was, but I wouldn't say too much anger. I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of my emotions at that time. Interesting. Like, straight, yeah, strangely enough. And I know there's a lot of people that ask me, like the person who hit me, like, do you have any anger towards him? And, you know, like all this other stuff and. So he actually ended up passing away two days later in the hospital. I'm pretty sure he was in the same hospital as me, but he ended up passing away. He's an older gentleman. I don't know exactly. I can't say for sure, but I've heard like from hearsay that he had a diabetic episode and that's what caused him to like crash into us. So um, you, don't, you don't even know that story. You don't even know the why. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really have any anger uh, towards no. him or anything because it's just like when I, you can't beat a dead horse, you know what I'm saying? It's, he paid the ultimate price and I'm still living and that's just what it is. You said before as well that you, you already felt pretty good at controlling emotions, being aware of your emotions. When did you get taught that through your life? Yeah, no, I, I got to be honest. I wasn't very good at that. So 
maybe like seven years ago, I started going to a therapist and like my therapist, he would just break things down to me in a way that I didn't see that perspective or that side of things. And every time I felt something, it made me second guess like, oh, like, why am I feeling this way? Is it necessary to feel this way? Am I overthinking it? And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. I slip up and I'll get angry at something stupid. And then I'm just like, maybe even two days later, I'll be like, why did that get me so much? I don't understand, you know, but I tried my best though. It wasn't really a skill that I was taught or grew up knowing. It's something I newly learned. So I'm trying yeah. my best to. What I'm hearing is that that bravery of stepping in and getting that support and tools, because a lot of that work with therapists is around toolboxes, right? Like that you can use, like you use a construction mm-hmm. worker, get different tools for different situations, the emotional regulation that you needed to then be able to step in that probably one of the biggest days of your life was actually really foundational to get you to choose the way that you are stepping forward over the last year and a half, two years. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, and then uh, honestly, I guess I contribute like how well I'm handling the situation from Muay Thai therapy and, you know, I have a strong support system. So yeah, um, there's a lot of people I'm grateful for. So yeah. So talk to me about when you first started Muay Thai. It wasn't anything crazy or anything like that. Basically, I played baseball throughout my entire life. And I knew once I got into college, I didn't want to play baseball anymore. And honestly, I was just watching like the UFC one day. <laughs> just like pretty much anybody else that goes into gym. I just wanted to see if I could do it. You know, like I wanted to kind of learn more about myself and see what I was made of. So I started training and I quickly fell in love with Muay Thai. And literally like a month in training, I wanted to start sparring. I saw guys like sparring and everything. And I was like, I want to see if I could do that. And I got totally wrecked the, the first time I ever scored. <laughs> really? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But, you know, it is one of those things where I kept wanting to see, yo, I'm doing this. Like, maybe I could do this. It was like a gaining confidence thing. You feel good about yourself when you're improving. That's what anything, really. But I feel like Muay Thai, like martial arts in general, it's just there's something different about it, you know, so... What about for you with the social part, the social aspect of it? How did that community be part of your life? Yeah, no, that's a big part of my life. Um, (laughs) You just, you know, over the years of like training and fighting, you just meet a lot of people. Like you cross train, so you go to different gyms and you spar with new people from their gym. It's such a small community and everybody's so helpful and welcoming that, you know, you just meet a lot of people. Because of the Muay Thai community, that's where I actually met my best friend. Really? Um, and yeah, a main training partner for years. Yeah. And we kind of came up together and he actually runs his own fight team now at Ooh. another gym. So yeah. So he's definitely uh, doing his own thing now. Uh, but yeah, it's just, there's so many experiences of people that you meet, different people from different places in the world. And it's just, I don't know. It's just like, I love the social aspect of the sport, uh, almost as much as like the, the sport itself, you know, like. Mm-hmm. It's a place of belonging is what I've learned from many of the martial art clubs. And many, yeah. many of us are missing that. And so it's a really interesting place to come to, especially when you've been through times of stress or feeling disconnected in, in any part of your life. That's why I like talking about it, because I think when you, uh, as all humans, we try to figure out how to deal with stress in a certain way. And something like Muay Thai is a way of processing body, processing emotions, but also in a safe, controlled environment, right? Yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Tell me about your best friend now. When you went through your trauma and your accident, how has that impacted you guys? Yeah, no, I know it definitely impacted him. I know it was hard for him to accept everything. He was there actually that that night. So when the accident happened, um, <laughs> that was the last day they were allowing visitors because we had this COVID thing. So, oh, of um, course. So this is COVID time. This all happened to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was like oh. the very end of things but they still had this covid crisis so like they weren't about allowing visitors and actually ended up i ended up catching covid in the, in the hospital oh, yeah. John. Yeah, yeah it was like this whole thing <laughs> so it was nice though because <laughs> i swear it was nice though because they had to quarantine me so i ended up getting my own room and i was so grateful i love your dark humor <laughs> But yeah, um, so that was the, literally the last day that, you know, my best friend got to see me and my family got to see me for, I would say it was a, a month and a half. Um, wow. Yeah. What was the, that next month and a half like with recovery and that isolation and even post-COVID? So I was only in the hospital for three weeks and then they moved me to Kessler, which is the rehabilitation place I went to. And I was there for another three weeks, but I couldn't be fitted for uh, prosthetics at that point. Cause I still needed another, like another surgery and I still needed to heal up, but they did a wheelchair training. So like the first three weeks in the hospital, I hated it there because I, no, I mean, I loved like the nurses and people who were like taking care of me, but I was bedridden though. I couldn't get up and go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, obviously I don't have any legs, but like, <laughs> but, um, I couldn't go anywhere. So when I got to Kessler the first day of the next morning, cause I got there like halfway through the day, the first day. They put me in a wheelchair and I was mobile again. So I was like, oh my God, this is, this is great. But I will say though, in the hospital though, it's, and it's funny, we're, we're talking about the Muay Thai community and everything. One of my nurses was one of my friends who I used to, to train with. Really? Yeah. And I guess he saw my name and, you know, he, he put in for my name. And then when I saw him, I was just like, Gary. And he's like, yo, what's up? And I'm like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? I didn't even know he worked in the hospital. I mean, he really took care of me and the nurses, they're all like pretty close. And he was like, oh, like, make sure you take care of my boy. So they were like all good to me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. 
So as much as the experience could be, it was actually really supportive and nurturing considering that was your life changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, how small world to then meet a familiar face that came from that community to yeah, be there. Yeah. I think it was like two other people from the Muay Thai community that worked at the hospital that found out I was there and they came to visit me. I was just like, this is great because I'm not allowed to have any visitors. So technically they're kind of like my visitors in a way. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I can't imagine going through that with not having that family support around. Must have been really yeah. challenging as well. Yeah. Actually, Gary did me a big one at one point. When the accident happened, it was December 20th. So it was like right before Christmas. So I forget whether it was like Christmas Eve or Christmas, but I'm pretty sure it was Christmas. I, I forget, but like he actually stuck me out of the hospital. Yeah. Like in the, the bed, um, they stuck me out in the hospital to go see my family outside. And then, yeah, stuck me back in. And that was awesome. I love Gary. He, that's epic. (laughs) That's epic human right there. Like fully got your back. And just knowing that that little moment, that's humanness right there. That's kindness and compassion. So cool. What a dude. (laughs) No, I was, I was lucky to have him. What was it like in the Kessler and the rehab center? How was that? How was your body responding at this whole time too? Like I said, I was like a lot of whole bunch of like medications. I was drugged up. So I come from always making the joke that I was a like crackhead Jesus. <laughs> My muscles deteriorated because I wasn't really eating a lot. So especially too, because I was having a lot of like dental issues because my teeth, like I couldn't eat anything because my teeth were so sensitive because I think with the accident, I've been slammed down my teeth. Right. I bit so hard. Ugh. Luckily, my tongue wasn't. <laughs> but I bit down so hard that my teeth became so sensitive that I couldn't even like eat anything. So then the, the dentist actually had to come into the hospital, give me some like Sensodyne, I think it was, and made it feel better. So I've lost, basically what I'm saying is I lost a lot of weight. Yep. Here's the crazy thing. Like by the time I left the Kessler and <laughs> I would, I would fight at one, 160. By the time like I stopped fighting for that little bit and I came back, I was like 160, 165. I was like fighting that, right? Mm-hmm. I was weighing in at 130, 135. Wow, you lost a lot. Yeah. That's pounds too. We're in kgs in New Zealand, but I know that's still a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, to, that's massive. Wow. Yeah. But the weird thing was, because I felt like I, I was so light, I felt superhuman, like strong. It was weird. Really? I felt like, yeah, because my, I'm so used to lifting 190 for my body weight that I'm only lifting like 130 now. I kind of almost like fling myself because this is weird. Like I, I wasn't adjusted yet i wasn't able to oh, adjust it yeah that yeah. makes sense as well my background back 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 background like really far back is, <laughs> is physiotherapy and so like the way that your brain and your body would be processing that whole connection to it as well would have been just like this whole new you this mapping out your brain would have been like i don't know where i am in space and it would yeah. also be disorientating and how has that been then in the next few weeks after that it was good. As more time went on, I started to understand like my new body weight. I'm more like regulated now. I'm back up in weight because also too, you're eating like the hospital food and stuff. It's not as much as I would normally. So I did gain the weight back. I'm probably close to where I was. Like I probably, like, I didn't, I haven't weighed myself since like mm-hmm. my last fight really, but I probably end up 180, 185 or something like that. Now, you know, I gained a lot more muscle. I'm going to make this dark humor joke. I'm sorry, but like I gained a lot more muscle in my upper body, you know? The lower body's not there anymore. So, um, okay. 
But in the next couple of weeks, I adjusted everything. I got better with the wheels here at that point. And at that point, I was even working on like wheelies and stuff like that. You know, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Challenge. no, like wheelies. Yeah, wheelies are really useful, actually. A lot of people like don't realize though. Yeah. Like if you need to hop up on with somewhere, like mm-hmm. which happens quite a bit, actually. Yeah, the therapist actually used to teach it. They stopped teaching it. They're like, oh, what do you want to work on today? I was just like, yo, let, let's work on wheelies. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically playing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about then the process of getting your new legs? So by the time I got out of the hospital, like, well, Kessler for the wheelchair, basically I needed to get a skin graft surgery right. because there was still like an open wound. They take skin off of your like thighs. I mean, it, it could be really anywhere, but like, they took it off my thighs and basically they put it in the machine that stretches it out and they cover the wound with it. Pretty much like 95% of uh, my right leg took the skin, but then only 20% of my left leg took it. Not much took, but that's because the majority of the wound is on the underside of my leg. Right. So it's a lot of like rubbing, but that started like healing on its own like crazy. And it actually did close itself up. So literally, I would say like four months after I got out of the Kessler, I got casted. It's kind of like paper mache. <laughs> it's, like, it's literally like paper mache. And they like wrap your leg with this like cloth and then literally slap on these like paper rolls and they get the mold and they send it in. So that whole process takes about a week to get the, the like, actual mold of it. And then once they have that, they do like a test it. To make sure that everything feels good, it looks like it's fitting properly and stuff yeah. like that. And if they need to make more adjustments, they can in that time. So like the whole process takes around three weeks to a month to get my prosthetics. And at that time, I was like still in stubbies. So it's only like two inches off the ground. So and then I actually went back to Kessler for inpatient because I just figured that I wanted to get like a kind of like a kickstart. I wanted as much time in them as possible with as much training as possible. Like I, I knew. If I went outpatient right away, they were only going to give me three times a week, an hour a day. So like, it wasn't that much. I was getting six hours a day. Amazing. Amazing. So then what was it like learning to use them? It was weird. Uh, um, No, it was weird uh, because it's just not, it's not how you would walk. You know what I'm saying? You know, my body spent like 30 years walking the same way. You know, to try to reprogram your brain, it's a task. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's a task. Um, but it's like a feel thing, though. So, like, your body will, like, start to remember how things feel. And like you said before, it's like, you don't know where you are in space. So, you're kind of, like, off-centered. You're off-balance because you're literally on stilts. And you kind of just start to get a grasp for everything. And you're like, I'm secure right here. I don't need to panic and move. Whereas, like, when you first get in them, you're, like, all wobbly. And you're reaching for everything because you, you can't keep your balance. And you don't know how to position your body. So like amputees actually have like a natural curve in their back. Because when you have your actual legs, you have muscles to stabilize yourself in like a neutral stance. So your leg muscles and your calves, your ankles, they all stabilize you. Where like when you're an amputee, you kind of have to put your body over itself. So there's a natural curve. And there's nothing that you can really do about that. That's just how it is right now. Your center of gravity has changed, and that's a lot to kind of even retrain those muscles to get them to function differently. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, it's literally just training your brain and your body how to work the prosthetics. And I mean, you know, those are stubbies. So, like, that's like one aspect of it. And not everybody goes through the process like I do, but I was pretty quick throughout the process. So I was only in stubbies for two weeks. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people are in stubbies for like, 
I've heard three to six months. I went from two weeks of stubbies to straight to microprocessors. Wow. To yeah, they're computer based. They have like different modes. So basically, the difference between like the mechanical and the computerized is that the computerized controls your full. Like, so it controls like the bend of your knee. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the mechanical, if you untighten those muscles that are keeping you up, like your hip muscles and your core muscles, you're dropping. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more load so, on it for you. A lot more work yeah. in that mechanical mode. I will say that there are benefits of going mechanical just because it really teaches you when to tighten up and just like the, the motions and everything where I feel like I didn't get as good training with the computerized because it does a lot of the work for you. Here's thing to have changed. What I'm also hearing is it's the attitude that you come with is that it feels like this has been a big choice. You, you might have thought you didn't have a choice, but the way that you've gone into this process, your mindset around it, your ability to like, I'm going to try this as best as I can to get as fast as I can through this process has been a fight attitude is what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm motivated because I wanted to recover as quickly as possible because like I said, I was 30, uh, 32 yeah. now, but like I was still like so young that I got like some of the best years ahead of me and I'm like yeah. really trying to like worry about, oh, like, am I going to be able to walk? And like, no, 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 I'm going to be able to walk and I'm going to try to do it as fast as I can, you know, like. So what does life look like now for you? Okay. There's a little bit. So there's been a little bit of a setback <laughs> that I don't think that you're aware of, but basically what happened was, remember I was telling you where I need skin graft surgery yeah. and the left leg didn't take too well. So that kind of revisited me basically where the skin graft like didn't really take. So there is no tissue there. Yeah. There's only scar tissue. So right now I have a surgery coming up. Yeah. For tissue relocation. Basically they need to cut my leg open and another part of my leg to take some of that tissue out to put, because what's happening is in that area. There's a lot of blisters, especially yep. with my increased activity with the prosthetics. Yeah. And recently that one of those blisters got infected. So me and my surgeon were actually talking about it. This was like at the beginning of the year. And I, was, I kept on saying, I was like, no, no, like, I don't want to get another surgery because I want to continue prosthetic training. So yeah, that came back to bite me. So right now I'm not really in the prosthetics too much because uh, I, I can't really wear them right now because I don't want to make the leg worse. And I have the surgery coming up in a couple of weeks now. So, yeah. It sounds like it's been another moment for you to figure out how you move through this. How are you feeling about it? Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like you know, slightly disappointed just because I want to continue with the prosthetic training. I actually like recently just got back into therapy because they released me for a while. Mm -hmm. And I was doing stuff on my own, which was like really nice because I just got my uh, modified vehicle and stuff. So like I was like mobile again. Yeah, so I was going out everywhere. I just started therapy back up again because I just got new sockets and um, new feet. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the other ones were worn out. They were 30 years old. So, <laughs> so that was um, new ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just got like everything new. So they're like, you know, that's justifiable to start therapy again. And I was really psyched because um, I, I was still struggling with going like down declines and stairs. And I, I could actually go upstairs without the crutches or anything. I'm able to do pretty much almost everything without crutches now, except for like those two things. So I really wanted to tackle them. And then literally like two weeks after I started therapy, that's when the blister and the infection happened. But um, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling okay about everything. I don't, I don't mind getting the surgery. Like it's not worrying me that they're going to be like cutting me open yeah. or anything like that. 
I'm I'm happy that it's going to get resolved finally. It's just that I, I just hope that I heal fast, which I think I will. But I want to get back to therapy as soon as possible so that this way I can start working on those things again. And it's so normal to feel what you're feeling with disappointment though as well, right? Like, of course, it's going to be a roadblock and those sensations and stuff are going to be a hard thing to challenge. Um, but you, you notice those sensations and you can feel frustrated, but you're also going, but I'm still going to get through this, right? There's still this. Oh, yeah. You're not glass half full. You're glass like brimming to the top almost, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> What's helped you the most over this time? Definitely my support system, no doubt. I have a lot of people, you know, just a lot of people are there for me, you know, just making sure I'm okay and uh, being there for me. And especially with the Muay Thai community, they've been strong supporters. And not to say that, like, I didn't know I, I didn't have a good support system before, but it's just that it kind of just, blows your mind you know it just baffles you a little bit because you're just like wow you know i i must have impacted all these people in some way that they want to help me you know like and that's crazy to think about so pretty special yeah. and like leaning into that as well knowing that you've got people around you yeah yeah what do you want for the next few years for you then i mean hopefully i'll be working by that point i do actually plan on working with the uh, prosthetic company that i work with because they they offered me a job already and Amazing. they want me to, yeah. So basically I would be going to like different hospitals uh, in the area and uh, talking to new amputees. And I mean, essentially I'd be like selling the service, but the way that they did it with me, I just liked the way that they did it. It wasn't like they were selling the service. Though. I was just like, they were just there for me because a lot of people that go to talk, like they're also amputees and they're kind of like talking you through the process. And like, even at Kessler, they actually uh, use me a lot to talk to new amputee patients that they get who are like feeling down about the situation. Like they use me to go talk to them. So I just want to tell that person, like, listen, like everything's going to be okay. And you could take my word for it because I know all these other people are going to tell you, but they're not in your position, but I was. Yeah. Yeah. You're giving them compassion from someone that's walked that road and that's such a gift. What an inspiration. And I know that like you wouldn't, who would have ever thought this is going to be your life or your world, right? But this is actually something that's going to make a big difference into others because not everybody has this way, this insight and this power and this motivation. And when people hear the story, you don't have to have gone through what you've been through to go, that's phenomenal. The way that you've dealt with it, your resilience in this is inspirational, John. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know, I know things sometimes can seem dark in that time, you know, but like, it's not going to last forever. And that's why it's important to keep, to keep pushing, to keep fighting, you know, to keep just, you know, moving forward because it's not going to last forever. You're going to get through it and everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Whatever you're going through, just concentrate on whatever you can control. All the other stuff like that you can't control, like don't pay so much attention to it because you can't do anything about it, but everything that you can control, that's what you need to be focused on. That's what you need to do. So, yeah. John, you speak my words and it's just such a powerful way to finish this, this simple act. If you, every day we go, what can we control? What can't we control? Let's focus on the can. So thank you for your wisdom today, for your story, for your bravery. I know it's going to help others hearing it. So thank you because you are an absolute inspiration. No, thank you. And I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I'm really grateful and appreciative. You're welcome. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Bravery Academy. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you're looking to take your support for the podcast to the next level, visit patreon.com forward slash the Bravery Academy to access exclusive content and get early access to our upcoming episodes. Your feedback means the world to us. So please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for being part of the Bravery Academy community. Stay brave, stay curious, and keep challenging yourself to grow. Until next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.